Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Just over 13 years ago, February 2nd, 2009, it marked the discovery of what would become one of the largest crime scenes ever found in the U.S. on the West Mesa of Albuquerque. A woman named Christine Ross was out walking her dog Ruka in the vast dirt patch plotted out as the site of what was supposed to be dozens of new homes near 118th Street and Dennis Chavez. Christina's dog uncovered a human bone. Albuquerque police eventually found a series of unmarked graves in the area and the remains of 11 women, one of whom was pregnant. There's been an exhaustive amount of reporting about this case, including suspicions that there are more bodies that haven't been found and plenty of mentions about a few people who are presumed to be suspects in the mass murder. But 13 years later, the West Mesa murders case and any definitive answer as to who killed these women remains unsolved. Recently, Albuquerque police, the mayor and federal officials made another plea to the public seeking new information in the case. We need to tell the story, even though it's a painful story and it's a horrific story. But we will continue to tell the story until we get answers. A former homicide sergeant with Albuquerque Police, Liz Thompson, is now working on this case as a contract investigator for APD. She joins us on the podcast here today. Liz, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So the West Mesa murders case is now 13 years old as of early February. At this recent news conference, city leaders clearly put on this renewed call for help from the public. We are going to continue to ask the public for help. The only way this case is going to get solved is with our community's help or even communities around us that might know something. I wanted to know from your perspective, why now? Why this renewed ask for help? I would like to characterize it as ongoing asking for help. We have tried to do through the years, especially around the anniversary, some kind of media attention asking for help. Really, I just think that it it was just another like we've got to breathe more fresh air into this has been an ongoing thing. I also wanted to just reiterate that the women who were found buried on the West Mesa of Albuquerque actually started going missing in 03. So technically speaking, this investigation is that old. It has been ongoing uh, since these patterns of these women going missing became apparent in 03, 04. And we can we can get into those patterns a little bit later, but I really wanted to stress that this has been going on that long ever since a task force was um, formed to to investigate this. We get tips regularly on this case and whenever media attention is brought to the case, we'll get a surge in tips. So I was brought on to help with cold case investigations in July of uh, 2021. And one of the projects, if you will, was uh, to help with investigating and reviewing and what could help this investigation into not only the 11 women and the one unborn child that were found buried there, but the women who remain as missing persons cases. And so one of the 
the things that I stressed was very, very important was to keep the media attention going on this case. There ha- uh, was a dateline that was done a number of years ago that will still run from time to time. Well, we get a surge of tips after that dateline runs. This is what it's all about. If people are out there, and I believe they are, that know anything about either the women themselves, because a lot of times just finding new information about the victims that adds to our ability to create patterns is helpful. But certainly anyone who knows anything about um, who did this, that's the kind of new information. We need those tips. We need to be able to look into them. You know, that's what this is all about. So with this recent ask from city leaders from the public to come forward, Mayor Tim Keller specifically said only new information will solve this case. We need new information on this case. That is what is going to lead to it getting solved. What's happened since that press conference? So we have gotten tips and we're in the process of of reviewing those. Um, We're continuing to audit the tips from the past 13 years. We're continuing to look at what new technologies could help us. And I think that it's important for people to understand the information that we do have. When we look at this group of cases, and that's another thing to remember, the bodies that were found, that's 11 murder investigations. So we have to take a look at what we know and gather all that information. And so one, for example, that's why I keep bringing up that it's important to remember when these women started going missing, because that's a piece of information that we know. And in some of them, it, it, it is a little bit of a range of time. But we know that they started going missing um, the first one in May of 03 and then 11 of 03. But then it really ramps up April of 04, three in March of 04, June of 04, July of 04, August of 04 and September of 04. Those are the bodies that were found there. So we know the 2004 for this particular offender is very significant. On the topic of only new information being able to solve the case, you know, we've seen examples of breaks in a few Albuquerque cold cases in recent years based in some degree on technology. Um, I'm thinking about the DNA testing that's happened with the rape kit backlog. There have been examples of some cases that have been solved through confessions as well. Is it likely that maybe those kinds of breakthroughs would come in with the West Mesa murders case? I would say absolutely we're looking for any breakthrough. And so I think when you talk about only new information, clearly if the information we had today solved it, right? So the information we have today hasn't solved it. When the mayor says only new information, that's what he's talking about is that, okay, maybe a confession comes in. That's new. We haven't gotten that yet, or we would have solved it. In regards to DNA evidence, again, a review of all the evidence that has been collected and are there currently available DNA testing that might help in this case, it is possible, but that's all what we're going through right now. This is not an easy task. 
it's not like I can just call up evidence and say, hey, <laughs> could you retest everything in this case? It's just not that simple. We've got to take a look at every single piece of evidence. We've got to take a look at every single possibility of what's available currently in regards to those things. So to say, is it likely? I would rather characterize it as possible. Absolutely, it's possible. You know, time is a very interesting element in murder investigations. Most murder investigations are frankly solved within the 48 hours, the first 48 hours. That's why you have a show called 48 Hours, right? So we don't have that luxury in this case because these women went missing years before they were found. So now we have to to utilize the elements of time that are to our benefit, such as developments in technology. As to confessions, that's another thing that time can actually help us with. So, for example, offenders may be getting weary of carrying this around and having to hide it. That might happen. Someone who was told what this person did also may be getting further and further time-wise away from being afraid of that person. Also, they've been carrying this around. So time can work to our benefit. And of course, we would love to get a confession. If somebody wants to talk to us, I, I can guarantee they will be interviewed with respect and that we want answers. And I would love to to talk to that person and get some answers. In respects to some of the discussion around suspects in the past, um, specifically, I, I know that we at KRQE interviewed a former, now former Albuquerque police chief, Mike Geyer, at one point about this investigation. It was back in 2018. And he told us then, having his context of working on the investigation, he mentioned two people specifically, Lorenzo Montoya and Joseph Blea, saying they were, quote, the two strongest candidates, so to speak, as the main suspects. There are two strongest candidates, so to speak, as the main suspects. But without formally calling them suspects. A suspect is actually somebody that we it would be anticipating charging with the crime. And I don't think we ever reached that stage to develop enough grounds or enough probable cause to point fingers at an individual. Now, of course, Chief Geyer no longer works at APD. You mentioned in the recent news conference, though, that there are more than two suspects and maybe even more than a few. So with those two things in mind, I wanted to ask you, why have things changed in the realm of suspects? So I also wouldn't characterize that it has changed when they talked about those two people as being suspects, they felt that that was the right thing to do and that it was productive. What we have learned is that it creates this feeling or understanding in the public that those are the two suspects and that they must be the suspects because we named them. Well, we know now the effect that that has had is that People will actually even not call in a tip because it isn't related to one of those two suspects. So I would like to really clear that up. I would characterize those two individuals 
And I don't want to use their names for that exact reason. I don't want the focus to be just on those two individuals. They are persons of interest. And it's because for what we know about this case, there are some, for example, pieces of their timeline that may mesh with the timeline of these murders. But is there some piece of evidence that says, yes, it is that person? No. It sounds like you just don't want the general public to to have in the back of their mind, oh, they know who did it. Absolutely. And it really has taken on what I've come to characterize it as like an urban legend, almost uh, fervor around those two suspects. And again, there are things about them that lead us to believe they are persons of interest and we continue to get tips. But we get tips about other individuals who have similar interest or similar patterns or similar you know, crimes that they, they have been responsible for. And so the number of suspects is very dynamic. We're getting um, tips regularly, pretty much every week. You know, this case has a tremendous following. You know, we'll get a tip. And so what we do is we start looking at, you know, the nature of the tip. Who's it coming from? Where, you know, where was this person during the timeline? You got to start with that timeline, right? That person had to be capable of being in those places at those times. That's what you got to start with. And so I will tell you that once we start that process, let's say this tip comes in on person of interest Z, and it turns out that their timeline, it meshes with our timeline. They're added to the list of persons of interest until we find something that would take them off. So it is a dynamic number, we just don't have anything yet that would remove those two people as persons of interest. I would prefer to characterize them as persons of interest rather than suspects. And again, I, I don't want to sit here and say that Mike Geyer did anything wrong. They were making an honest effort to bring attention to the case, which definitely that happened. And I think it was an unforeseen consequence that it would turn it into the almost like a contest. People have their votes in. This is a real thing. People are in this camp or this camp. Seriously, I have seen this within the law enforcement community but I have seen it in the public. They have their ideas of why it's suspect A or why it's suspect B, but guess who they're not voting for? Person of interest C or D or E. So I'm really grateful to you for letting me clear that up. It's really important that we get back to what we know about this case. The timeline is very distinct. These women were buried, very meticulously buried in a very specific location. They all disappeared from very specific areas of Albuquerque. Well, they were very, very very vulnerable. They range in age from 15 to 31. Two teenagers and one person in her 30s, all the rest were in their 20s. I was added to the team that's investigating 
this. And my goal with this is what can I add? What can I bring to the table to get this solved? I have probably more experience talking to the media, doing interviews and so on. So it kind of misleads people a little bit into thinking that I'm responsible and that I'm somehow the star of this show. That is just not true. I just happen to be the one that's willing and able to talk to y'all <laughs> and so grateful for your questions and the interest because I do believe that it it does help and it does have the potential to crack the case. With a cold case of this magnitude and how old it is, is there still a robust team of investigators working on it? Or like how big is the team? Again, that's also dynamic. Ida Lopez is also a contract investigator that's been on it since the very beginning. She's the one that noticed the patterns of these women going missing. And so I would say robust. Yeah, Ida is the most dedicated with the most robust attention to this case, but they brought me in. We have to seek out experts and others from even other agencies uh, like FBI. The FBI SAC spoke at the press conference. Um, So those I consider members of this team. We are constantly reaching out for who can assist us That also changes with developing technologies. You know, we want to make sure that that those experts are on our team. So, yeah, I I can't really give you a number. But, yeah, I feel like the dedication is there to make sure that that is happening. So we know that there are other missing women also tied to this case who disappeared around the same time as the other missing women. APD in part shared a poster of those eight women. And there's some speculation out there that there's another burial site. Is APD or investigators like yourself actively looking for another site? So that is a great question. And I think the best way to answer it is to tell you that That is a possibility. And a lot of tips will come in that are along those lines, but they're vague. So we have gotten tips, however, that were very specific. Um, We've gotten tips that human remains were found. We've gotten tips that it appears there was some sort of digging. Uh, We've gotten tips that buried human remains were found. And so, again, we take it and we look at it. And we try to look at, does this fit the 118th Street timeline, the MO? And the time frame is is super important here. So we have actually gotten tips that led us to actually dig. So, and again, so far, believe me, if we had found another burial site, you you would already know know this. (laughs) Yes. But do we have suspicious burials of unidentified human remains? Yes, we do. That's an additional project that I'm working on as well. One of the things that APD put on my plate when they brought me back is looking at unidentified human remains cases. And so I can tell you there's a few of those that we're working on. And one of those has some similarities, but it isn't as easy as saying, yes, it is the same person or no, it isn't for the same reasons I've outlined. 
We just have to take what we know and say, okay, this could be related. And we're in the process of identifying those human remains right now, which is a very lengthy process. It's actually been going on. Whenever human remains are discovered, we go into trying to identify that person because that's how we get to what caused their death. We got to figure out who they are first so that we can figure out, you know, who last saw them and how did they end up in this arroyo or how did they end up buried in this field? We have these missing women over this time frame that started in 03, pretty much stopped in 06. So part of the, of the questioning that we have to answer is what happened? Did this person die? And when I say person, I'm really using that in the most broad. We actually don't know if this is one person. We don't know that, right? A lot of assumptions are made about this case. Just we often refer to him. We actually don't know if it's a man. We don't know if it's a woman. We don't know if it's two men, a man and a woman, okay? So we got to all remember that the key is to know the victims as well as we can and to know the evidence as well as we can. But that question of why we stopped seeing a pattern of missing women who were involved in uh, sex work, were uh, involved in some kind of substance abuse, that's sort of a I would call that a common thread. I mean, it's not uh, like a hundred percent, but it, it is a common thread through the the victims that we know who they are. That pattern did cease in 06. So did this person die? Did they move? One of the things law enforcement knows about serial killers, um, even if they are territorial, is that they may move their territory. They may be transient they move to a new city, that type of thing. And that is something we're constantly taking a look at is that answering that question is also hopefully going to be a a key in answering this mystery and getting answers is to figuring out why it stopped in 06 and we haven't found any other bodies is, um, is key. It is encouraging to hear the fact that you said once this comes up in the media, people do call in with tips and there's fresh information to look through and to consider. But on the other side of that, I would say to some extent, there may be people out there who feel that, you know, APD and investigators should be more open about where things stand in the case, about some of the the things that you get to look through as an investigator that we maybe don't have our eyes privy to. Um, there there may be some people who feel that way is, is my point and who maybe are turned off by the idea of just sort of generally hearing that this is an open and active investigation. You know, years go by, people hear that, and and some may tune it out. But again, there are some people who respect that for sure. I would ask you along the lines of that, what is the notion behind maybe not sharing more information about this case? And and should that be done? So actually, I'm so glad you asked that question Uh, because we get this Well, we get the question a lot, but we also get our haters that come up with reasons that we won't release information. One of the main reasons we won't release information is because we don't actually have the facts that people are talking about. 
I just talked about, you know, people making assumptions about the suspects. And so some of this is that we cannot be supporting these theories and assumptions and so on. And a lot of times we don't have that information. Again, I, I, it's a perfect example for me to sit here and say, I don't know that it's a man. I don't know that. Now, do statistics say that it is more likely a male who would commit this kind of crime? Yes, that is true. But do I know and I'm not releasing that information? Absolutely not. We simply don't know. And there's another category that we deal with a lot, um, especially in homicide investigations. And those are pieces of information that we have uncovered that only the killer would know. And I will tell you right now, I get it. The public feels they have a right to know. But I know that if I have a piece of information that I can use in an interview that only the killer will know, I am committed to that investigation not being, frankly, screwed up because I gave that to the public and then, the you know, either the killer knew about it and then had all this time to figure out how to distance themselves from that piece of evidence, whatever it is, or to cover it up or you, you get the point. And it's, I know it's hard for the public to think that, that that's a ridiculous thing. It is not in a homicide investigation. The detectives have to be completely aware of how this could play out if this is your person and you have that piece of evidence and you have this person either bring that up in the interview or you're able to utilize it in your interview, that gives the case integrity to move forward to prosecution. The first thing a defense attorney is going to take a look at is what information could this person have learned in the media or, or been fed by the detectives? And so we got to be really careful with that stuff. Frankly, this case doesn't really have that. I was going to say, is there information that you're withholding? Yeah, okay. I, I, exactly. This case is more about there's a lot here we don't know. Let me put it this way. There's a lot of gory detail that also, I think, captures the imagination of the public. These are heinous, tragic, shocking crimes. And so there are details about victims. There are details about persons of interest that are unpleasant, shocking. And to be honest with you, some of those details, yeah, we know them, but they have nothing to do with the case. And they, they wouldn't have any productive purpose except to satisfy someone's morbid curiosity about that person. Um, and I, I'm just not doing that. If it doesn't promote the resolution of the case and it's just about talking about, like I said, morbid curiosities, uh, I'm not interested in, in playing that game. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that criticize us for stuff like that, for not releasing information, not releasing those kinds of details. And I, again, I, I kind of put those people in the haters category. And what I'd like to say to the haters is, have you solved it? 
Because if you have, you need to let somebody know. But I think not. I think that there, we have the critics out there. I'm sorry, but unless you've solved it or you've come forward with something that has helped us solve it, I can't really take that stuff to heart. I, I do want to address, you know, some of the, the theories that people have that do appear like deep rooted about who the West Mesa murderer is to include, you know, one of those um, men named in the past, Lorenzo Montoya, who we know is dead, but just to ask you who is actively, you know, working on this case, is there a way to prove one way or another that someone who maybe is not alive could be the killer? So I, I'm going to go back to it's possible. Is there a way to rule him out even though he's dead? So, yeah, sorry, I'm going to give you the same answer. If there was a way to rule him out, we would have done that. If there was a way to prove that it's definitively him, we would have done that. We are working on that. And in the same answer, now as time goes by and we get more ability to look into some things about him or any other person of interest, we may get there. So the the real answer to your question is it's possible and we may get there. What do you want people to know right now about who the West Mesa murderer is. So again, that that timeline is really, really important. It's really hard for me to just give you like a like a like an FBI profile of this guy. Okay? And I even said guy, this person or persons, what we do know. And again, I'm going to go back to that timeline. If people think back to 2003, 2004 and I got to tell you, we're really interested in anyone who was involved in any way with uh, sex work, sex workers around that time. Because these women had that common thread, we would love to talk to them, even if they think it's insignificant. But that timeline is super important. You know, this person picked their victims, apparently. The other thing that we know is that they picked a very specific location and very specifically buried these women without clothing, without personal belongings. So if that triggers something in someone's memory, and again, thinking about 2003, 2004, was there someone who, knowing that these women were buried without their clothing, that maybe was collecting women's clothing or women's jewelry or anything like that? It just seemed odd and it was never really explained. That's the kind of thing that could lead to uh, a person, that kind of thing. So those two things are really important. Um, Going back to anyone who was either involved in sex work or anything related to that in those years and knew someone, for example, who seemed to either inappropriately befriend these women, sort of like building trust and then they disappeared, or on the other hand, had a quick temper that they could suddenly become angry and maybe be to the point of kidnapping and killing. Those things that we know are what we want people to be triggered by that they may have information. You know, we do get a lot of tips of, oh, my uncle is just weird. 
What do you do with those? Do you have to investigate every tip or? Of course. Yeah, of course. So we got to say, okay, who's your uncle? And <laughs> why do you think they, your uncle's weird? And um, yeah, I know there's a lot of uncles out there right now going, <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. Um, but but that's, that's just a very broad example. But we got to take a look. Who was this person? Why do you think they're weird? Tell us more about that. What was their timeline? 2003, 2004. And these women all went missing from the streets of Albuquerque, correct? Yes. Very specifically, mostly the Southeast Heights, Central Corridor um, areas, I would say, you know, east-ish of Central, but also in the downtown area, that is also one of the areas. And then we just have a couple of them that were last seen on the on the west side, but also kind of along that central corridor, central avenue corridor. But these aren't women that went missing from all over Albuquerque. They all went missing from Albuquerque. They all went missing pretty much along Central Avenue, whether it be downtown in the Southeast Heights and a couple off of West Central. Well, thank you, Liz. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about the case. And please uh, keep us posted if you if you get any breaks. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't wait for that day. Do you think this is a case that can be solved in our lifetime? Yes, I hope so. I It, it is one of my life's dreams, goals. I'm hoping it will be solved in my lifetime, but the reality is it may not. But I'm going to do everything I can to, to see that that possibility plays out. We mentioned in the episode description, this is part one of a two-part series on the West Mesa murder case. Next week, we're talking to someone who's made it her life's work to make sure another case like this doesn't happen again. Christine Barber will be our guest. She's the co-founder of Street Safe New Mexico, a volunteer organization advocating for women living on the street and engaged in sex work. Christine has been deeply involved in helping carry the story of the West Mesa victims forward. She also has her own theories on the case and what she thinks the police department should be focused on in terms of solving the case. And that'll go up next week on the New Mexico News Podcasts. Our new episodes, they're up for download every Tuesday morning, usually between 5 and 6 a.m. on most podcast players. And if there is a player that we're not on, which you'd like to see us start uploading to, just let us know. Also, if you have any feedback, we want to hear from you. You can email me at chris.mckee at krqe.com or also chrismckeetv on Twitter. I'm at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com and gburknm on Twitter. Please rate and review our podcast too. That helps other people find our show. If you like us, uh, let us know. Thanks for listening. Thank you.